0: the borders of things are not delineated, are not rigid and, and static as we tend or were taught to, to think they are. It, you know, one way of talking about this is talking about blurriness. Then I choose to, to talk about fuzziness because it's a term that relates much more to the sonic uh, and, and not only to the visual aspects of blurring, the blurs of perception. Of categories, but the fussing of these elements. One thing that that is kind of funny and like like just like an anecdote, um, a personal anecdote. You know, from one of my eyes, I don't see that much, so I, I see very blurry. Oh, so you're like my son.
1: Tienes un, 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 un ojo vago. Sí.
0: <laughs> exactly, un ojo vago, and uh, it's really funny because.
1: Did you, it, wo- did
0: you wear a patch as a kid? Yes, I did. I did. It's horrible. It's horrible. I hated it. It's so like I hated. it, I was so embarrassed and uncomfortable, and it didn't help. So I still didn't see nothing. I I so if I close my right eye, I just see colors. I don't see shapes. So so actually, like in some ways, my reality has always been fuzzy, like with no linear, uh, rigid lines or very delineated lines. And, and when I was super, super young, like, before they realized that I have this because I see very well from my right eye. So it was, I never, they never took me to the doctor because I never complained that I couldn't see because, you know, I could read. But I just thought everybody sees the world like this. And I thought I had like a superpower because sometimes I could see different and I was like, oh. <gasps> my eyes are amazing. Oh my god, I have to, I need to keep this as a secret because it's very unique. And then I realized that it's actually a problem that I was having. (laughs) It's so sad. And, And that actually like people, like all my brothers and, you know, my parents, they actually see much more of the world than I do. It was so frustrating to deal with that. And then to understand that that's how it is. And like, I assume my parents, they see, like, or my brothers, they see amazing, but maybe they just see super different. So it also, early, at a very young age, when they discovered that I have this thing, it made me question a lot about what is reality, you know, what is it at all? Like, what does it, what does it even mean? Like, it doesn't matter, like, we all see different. So early on, I had this uh, kind of, like, this problem stimulated these this ideas in a very early age to me. I just like can imagine how it can be better, you know, I have this disability, but I don't see it as a disability because it doesn't uh, displace me from the world, Uh, it's something that is also unnoticeable, so people don't think I have this, I don't talk too much about it, Uh, it's very part of me, but it's it's not like a stigma, right, and it's something that also I just this is the way I know how to navigate this reality.
2: Chilean artist Nicole Lullier formulates an antidisciplinary practice that takes up a position and boundaries, generating a liminal and sensorial space in which categories such as architecture, science, music and sound tend to break down and intertwine. Thinking with quote-unquote South logic, the logic of her native South, Nicole defends the need to use multiple kinds of thinking at the same time and embraces mestizaje, by way of Gloria and Thaldua, as a way of being and existing that is rich and full of complexity and contradictions. The sense of constant movement and of being outside of linearity has allowed her to unlearn the rigidities of the western canon And to go beyond anthropocentrism, to see the world through serpent and eagle eyes, again, in the words of Gloria Anthaldua. This borderland gives rise to the idea of the membrane, a conceptual apparatus and physical structure through which she articulates some of her thought and her works. For Nicole, A membrane is the space where things come together and separate but it is a space of resonance, not a rigid wall. It is a wall that always vibrates, oscillates, exchanges, receives and transmits. Different worldviews, temporalities, experiences and knowledge coexist and collide in this liminal and sensual space, taking shape and becoming embodied in order to socialize through ritual and sharing. In this podcast, we open up Nicole Lullier's processes, methodologies and rituals in conversation with old friends Gloria Anzaldua, Silvia rivera Cusicanqui, Gabriela Mistral, A.M. Canguisa, and strangers. Their membrane words caress and jolt us. Sounds, vibrations, resonance, structures, and other multiple sensorial transductions invite us to think up, amidst murmuring, other collective ways of being and incarnations.
0: I center myself as somebody that lives, uh, I position myself from many borders, let's say. Uh, Identitary, uh, in terms of like uh, cosmological, also in terms of uh, where I come from, where I'm based, where I operate from, where do I think from, also. Um, and in these borders, it's places where things get mixed. It's places of mestizat, for example, it's places for times to intertwine, to collide, to cross each other, uh, are places of like non linear dynamics, are places of while inhabiting borders i think i had had the chance to understand that categories are very rigid and we can just like instead of for example not belonging to anything i can belong to many things at the same time and i think that's interesting and that's an opportunity so i grew up in in a society as many of us that really like directs you toward like being something, having a career, a profession, super-established, within certain parameters, very disciplined, uh, within disciplinary boundaries. And then, as I was like transgressing them and becoming a very fragmented person, belonging to the world of like either music or architecture or art, kind of like being this person with multiple personalities, in understanding that it was very unhealthy for me to be fragmented. So I decided to just like cross them over, to just like complicate them. Instead of using this confusion as something bad, it gave me much more opportunities. So inhabiting these borders in the end became the possibility of forgetting about the rigid lines of categorizations uh, belonging to certain boxes. So this anti-disciplinary perspective, um, this place of like also mixing technologies with things that are like commonly not understood as technology but are also technologies. also what is that's where I come from in this idea of like the anti-disciplinary or kind of like mixing so many things technologies, temporalities, ways of doing because that's my place. And that's like the place where where I have found uh, all these connections where we're thinking about you know deep time, Technology and contemporary technology really meet and can find both entanglements, similarities, continuities, and just like, you know, circles and loops back and forth. we can frame and we can say and and i do say that i work around exploring sound and vibrations as construction materials and that's the center of my practice so when i say this many people are like imagining that my work is compositions uh, listening sessions and it's very physical and it's very sculptural and very colorful as well which for some you know very let's say puristic or whatever sound artists or scholars it's like a crime, <laughs> it's, it's a blasphemy, it's like, why... Uh, and, and you know what, like, what happens, uh, and what I, and I used to, back in the day, be much more silent in, in this idea of, like, like, making my work more like invisible, let's say, less material, less present, by using, whatever, black cables, or white cables, or black speakers, something that disappears, but this is an illusion, it does not disappear. The speakers are there, the black tables are there, the white cube is there and it's part of the work. It's not that you have an object separated from everything else and like disem- like a f- a f- you disembody the room, you disembody the context. This is an illusion, uh, kind of like from modernity we can say, in this obsession of just like stimulating the, the object as one thing, but we're activating all these spaces. We are there, we are part of that piece. So it changes constantly, right? Even the way that you would listen to the sounds coming from the membranes that I make is gonna be completely different from the way that I listen to these sounds. What it means, everything. Once I I was like, yeah, like, I need to play with I mean, this is part of it. So let's push it and and let's make it like tactile and and understanding that sound is also something that touches you, that listening is also and can be also uh, a very intimate uh, experience, very visceral as well, that we don't only listen to our ears, but we listen through our bodies, to our knees, to our hands, to our skin, to our bones. Um, and so this is why like the work that I'm doing is so material and, and plays with all these le- layers because yeah, spatial experience, sonic experience, whatever, it's not one. You cannot fragment the sound from the visual. This this is just like an invention again again an invention of boxes so we can understand reality. But what matters is like we need to understand that reality does not belong in any sort of box or categories. It's all together and intertwined. And, and I think this is the membranes, right? The membranes as like just like these oscillatory entities that are activating and activated and activating at the same time. I'm so in love with sound and vibrations because you know it's just like it's so viscous it's it's like aglu- an agglutinant material it's something that just like erases I mean not erases but renders unnecessary the boundaries that we'd like to see that we we tend to imagine because it's just like everything is like just connected it's agglutinate that is glued together Um it just started, when I, I was thinking about the membranes, when I was initially, I, I, I actually went to undergrad I, I to study ar- architecture. So I, I was practicing as an architect and as a musician at the same time. And then I started mingling these things, I, as I was saying previously, to yeah, breaking, you know, these fragments, uh, these like disciplinary categories that I was inhabiting. And when I started to play with this notion of like sound as a construction material, vibrations as construction materials, then that you cannot decouple from the spaces they inhabit, and then also from the times they inhabit, Uh, I realized that spaces that we understand, you know, as uh, it's common to say in architecture to talk about a shell, something is a shell, something that is dormant, that just contains, but these shells are not static like that, they not just contain, but they are actually alive. They are active participants of these relationships. It's a series of relationships in multiscalar perspectives uh, between different types of bodies. right? So when I realized that and and I started working and going deeper into these ideas, I realized that everything behaves like a membrane, just in different scales. Um, We are membranes. Um, Our bodies are membranes. We contain different scales of membranes as we constitute other membranes and and in this sense everything is a membrane, reality is a membrane and I like to play with this and understand, you know, really working my research um, with tools, apparatuses that are means to engage with our vibrational reality, to engage with reality as a membrane, different scales, different uh, questions, but always towards that quest of what is a membrane and what are like the amplitudes and the resonance and the transductions within this membrane. So for me membranes, membranas, eh, is is both a structure to, like a conceptual apparatus to think with, but also a physical structure to put into practice. And when we think about membranes, it's this place that is again similar than than these borders, eh, than these fronteras. It's really the place where things meet and also things get separate. But it's a place of resonances. So it's not a rigid wall. It's a wall that is always vibrating, oscillating, exchanging, receiving, and emitting, let's say. Open system performative apparatuses, continuously. You cannot separate things when things are just like Like now, you know, we're talking, we are at a little distance, but I'm touching you with my words. My words, my vibrations, are actually transforming the constitution of your body right now, are caressing you somehow. The people that will listen to this in their homes, uh, even if with compressions and, you know, other transformations and transductions. But these voices that were, like my voice right now is touching them as well. And this binds us in different scales and in different scales of times and spaces. Interacting. Continuously interacting with their environments through <laughs> their membranes. They say that dialogue involves a change, in perspective. a change in perspective, that it is a way of unfolding with others. An essential place of making with. An essential place of making with. I would love to mention the work of Gloria Saldua that has been like a foundation for me for my work. Uh, it's a pillar for my thought and and, and in the work of Gloria Saldua. I would dare to say, masterpiece, Borderlands, La Frontera, where she really dives into the idea of being uh, this Chicana, poet, mestiza, uh, queer as well. So really inhabiting many places at the same time and empowering, get, finding pa- empowerment in, in not belonging, in being told that you don't belong. And in the end, she decides to belong to everywhere. And that's a move. And she also talks a lot about movidas, you know, even movidas in language, using words to make movement, using words to shift, uh, yeah, to shift meaning. Uh, and, And this is a movida as well, to call herself la mestiza, to write about the theory of the new mestiza, but also through poetry, not only theory. And this is also beautiful because she not only embodies this, within herself, it's not something that she's writing about or theorizing from afar, from a distance, it's something she lives daily and she puts in practice in in the language of poetry, which I think is really beautiful as well. Many people are like, oh, you're from France. And of course, because this is a European festival and, and, you know, most of the artists They come from many diasporas, but most of the people assume that they're European, right? And my name is so confusing, and everybody's like, wait, where are you from? (laughs) Like, from Chile? Like, what does it mean? So how, like, you need to... And and I have always to explain myself in that... uh, And, you know, we yeah, that's where I come from, from a place that all these mixes are just part of it, uh, and it's weird, and... in, in Chile, I'm kind of like the French girl outside of Chile, I'm like the Latina from you know like so it's like also you get to understand and French, like you know my family, like I don't even know who was French. I think my great one of my great grandfathers, as others were like from many other places and also like from there, right? So so it's a huge mix. It's 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 super hybrid. In, Ah, and I wanted to say that I think it's also super interesting because you realize that positionality is not something fixed. In this idea of uh, surlogicas, las surlogicas, I frame them as a way thinking with the Sur, uh, with the South, right? Uh, it's like South logics, Southern logics. It's, it's understanding that there's many different logics. Uh, and I, I frame it from there, from a very uh, a perspective, from, from a mestizo perspective, from a perspective that it's, it's always um, so rich, so interesting, but at the same time very contested in a place of just like many contradictions as well. Many disputes. Uh, it's a place that is not, it's not an easy or static space ever. Uh, it comes from conflict, but it's this mixture of conflict, conflict and love that brings what I think is the power, like the acceptance, but also the opportunity to, as Gloria Saldua said, you know, that "de ver el mundo con ojos de águila y serpiente," which means like to see with the eyes of the eagle and the snake at the same time, like from these two different worlds that she is from, like the opportunity to actually have the two different visions and the two different, not only visions, but experiences. And in this case, eh, sur logicas, what I love, the way that I've been framing this idea is that it's not really um, a physical thing. It's not something that is defined by a line in the equator, but it's a way of thinking. and thinking by putting into practice, um, you know, in the in there's many decolonial theorists uh, that are that are very important and very central to to my research and work, and that I really like admire and respect a lot. Um, and there's this this woman uh, Silvia Rivera Kusikanki, that uh, the way she frames it, and that I think is really really powerful, and and that I really like. Take it and and, and and work actively work towards that. Uh, is that she she says that the the colonial movement is not a theory and cannot stay within the books and the spaces of intellectual discussion, discursive discussion, but the colonial uh, the, the colonial action is actually the action is putting into practice. So when it's only the theory, you know it's it's almost like meaning, it it's, it's can be damaging even, uh, can be romanticized, you know, there's spaces for things to fail, to, to just like stay within this, like this embodiment of the ideas, in the world of the ideas, that also stays within certain elite, people that have certain access to certain spaces for these discussions, but actually when you put it into practice, you take it to the world, you make it material, you make it physical, You make it happen, and this is what matters. So, you know, thinking about uh, surlogicas, it's a way to have some sort of imaginary, some sort of way of um, containing things within logics, but in order to bring them to the physical world, to do things, to put into practice, to gather, to have the discussions. And again, this touches back and circles back to the idea of the ritual. And this is why I think it's so important because it's that moment where you put into practice all these ideas. You know, Semilla, it's a piece that, essentially, it's a sound capsule that is meant to be buried underground. So it contains a speaker and a mp3 player that is looping in this sound piece. Uh, And once buried, it's uh, powered by a battery and solar panels. So it's constantly, you know, sounding, vibrating, covered with uh, some uh, chamomile seeds and other herbs. Uh, So... The whole idea behind Semilla, it's about understanding these resonances that we share, and also it's an offering to the earth, uh, in the sense that through the ritual, but also the work in itself, it's a gift, Uh, it's like some sort of like protective talisman, we can say, that through its resonances, uh, the main idea is that it masks um, symbolically because of course this is not happening in Hethem in amsterdam <laughs> uh, but but it's uh, you know uh, for looking for places for extracting oil and gas uh, many of these companies they're like putting geophones arrays of geophones in, to sound the ground to look to to find these spaces they're actually finding these we tend to think that geophones are for sound, but it's actually like all these vibrations, so they, they find patterns. Um, and I was doing some research and, and realized that even if there's like wind moving the grass in these places, that produces noise and masks the information and disrupts the, the work of, of the labor of finding these spaces for, for extraction. So I thought that semilla, something that is constantly producing vibrations on the floor, can be uh, an an object of resonant protection, an object that renders, uh, that plays invisible, unsoundable for these geophones. So it protects that tiny square meter of ground, let's say. Um, And I like to think a lot that the, the, the music of the semilla is the noise for the extraction. But for me, what most matters is the ritual. You know, the moment of bearing, of planting the seed together, of placing that intention, of having that dialogue, of sharing the wine. Because you know, it's both. It's a celebration, but it's also a very solemn moment. But in the mix of these things, um, is the ritual. I love that you call it like that. Is something very like domestic, something very uh, homey. It homes you. And I like that a lot because for me, that ritual, what matters there is that we activate a moment where we inhabit time together. We like, you know, all my research around sounds and vibrations um, let me uh, and, and it's taking me much more like every day, much more into the idea of collectivity and the importance of collectivity, because we are already a collective membrane. We're already resonating and transducing one another so in that sense I, I found in the ritual the space to, to really activate these collectivities um, as you were saying for example that you were wondering what would, what, how would this be with a Dutch audience <laughs> uh, even yourself questioning like would I am I gonna look weird is this weird and you know what it's super weird and I love that because we open a space with this ritual to be weird to, we give permission to ourselves to lay on the ground to do things that we're not used to do, that we don't allow ourselves to do, because we shouldn't, right? Like we, we need to be vertical, the ground is, it, you know, it's kind of dirty. I'm like, get yourself dirty and like put you in contact with that earth that you, you live with, right? And I was very surprised and very happy that it actually worked, that people were engaging, that people were part of this ritual and I saw many smiles. I, I think people were like finding it a little bit funny also because they were saying, okay, let's go for it. I look ridiculous, but it doesn't matter because we are part of this together. And creating the space for that, I think is really powerful. And, and that's the space of the work and I, that I care for. I think everybody that was part of that left that space Um, with something and this is the real seed, this is the real semilla, that's something. So a semilla, a seed is something that grows in time Um, and an idea it's something that also grows in time. A movement is also a seed and these people they left with an idea, with an emotion, Uh, they left touched somehow by this ritual and the vibrations of the semilla and that is gonna grow in time and that's what I care for. I would love for, you know, eventually, since the semilla is, stays there, uh, to come back and to see if actually these herbs grow. If they do, we're going to offer a, a tea ceremony, a moment that we can share the semilla, the, you know, the herbs that grow from the semilla, uh, again, in a collective space. <laughs> super important part is actually the lament it's actually the acknowledging um, and the asking for permission because you know we're also intruding i mean the semilla it's something that goes underground and 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 it's it's an it's it can be a violent act to just like put something there right Uh, so the way you do it it's super important and this is you know in the South Andean region where i come from there's like Different ways, uh, to to ask for these permissions. There's different types of protocols, um, that come from some, some from indigenous communities, others from mestizo communities, different areas. And what I, the way I framed the, this ritual for the semilla, <coughs> was really bringing this idea uh, and this action of pagamento, offering, but also establishing an exchange, um, a non-violent exchange in order to, you know, to, to pay homage, to pay a debt and to ask for permission uh, to open that, that exchange, let's say, in a non-violent way. And thinking outside of only Western epistemologies and ways of being, I think it's, it's very very important and necessary in order to not only give space and acknowledge, other ways of being and, and, and other ways of knowing the world, but also to give voice to to who to the people that, that are constantly caring and paying attention to, to the planet. I would love to share like, a, like for example the work of Eduardo Viveiros de Castro has been very central in my practice in the sense of understanding or op- opening up attention to to other ways of that defy the construction of subjectivity through the Western Canon that you know it's it's within these dichotomies and these binaries that we all know that have been so harmful um, object subject uh, nature culture but then when you when you change that um, and, and, and understand that reality is activated in many other ways that subjectivity is shared with things that even we think are inanimated or devoid of life, uh, it really changes the way that you relate to everything, the way that you establish these relationships, r- relationships in respectful and meaningful ways beyond the human. Thank <laughs> you. In terms of interspecies communication, I, I I have done. It all started uh, within these notions of like you know when I was talking about the idea of the spaces that are not dormant but actually like part of this, really, They are also relational agents, and then then it made me also question and start wondering about what happens with the sounds and all these pieces that we're creating. That were like who who is also like getting them and who, how do we constitute what who means, right, who and what basically it's getting there, what is activating, what is being activated through the sounds and also in what ways, in in, in damaging ways, in, in caring ways, in, is this a chorus? is this a violent act, so I think these questions are super important um, as sounds practitioners, you know, that suddenly also Many many of us, and personally I can say I also started doing a lot of field recordings and, and recording sounds from the environment, paying attention to to rhythms, to textures, to, to let's say voices. Um, and we tend to like anthropomorphize all these things, right? But then it's super important for me, it was very important to realize that that can be very extractive as well. And how do we ask for permission? How do we place protocols that actually create an an ethic relationship with the sounds that we're taking from a place? Uh, yeah, what what gives us like you know the right to just go and take it um, to use it? Otherwise, so it's like um, there's uh, this person that that I really love their work, Amir Kangiser, and and they talk a lot about. Uh, they, they, they really frame this in a really, really nice way. I invite you to please check their work um, about what does it mean to think that everything is disembodied, right? To, to, that we have the, the right to take when these things are also agents um, you know, that, that, that need attention, that need care. Like when we when somebody comes and takes a picture of us, a stranger, we f- we we feel offended. We feel transgressed. Uh, it's not okay, right? So why would it be okay to just go and take from outside? And in this sense, I think there's a lot of things that that we have as society we have to learn. I personally there's a lot of things that I also have to learn and and uh, and and understand in order to be able to have a, an ethical. Um, way of being, an ethical way of acting when doing these type of things and works. And then this is where interspecies communications comes in, um, because it's always in. It's just paying attention and acknowledging and and being careful and respectful as we can. One of the pieces here, the other one, Kutiteos, is this piece that is the flag made of three membranes. It's actually a fragment. Uh, initially, Kutiteos uh, Teos, it was commissioned in, in Germany, in the Kunsthalle Baden-Baden, as a piece that is a 30 channel uh, sound system. The flag is a sound system. Each of the membranes, each of the squares that compose the flag is a speaker, it's an output. And for this one, it was not possible to bring that piece because it's still in another exhibition. So I made specially a 3 channel little piece, like a baby tails. let's say, a fragment of it, anyways. But this piece is actually activated by by a sound composition that it's different translations of a poem by poet Gabriela Mistral, a Chilean poet, that it's, I mean, it, she's amazing. She She's one of, like, the people that I really, really look up to. Uh, I grab and, and her perspective always came from a very generous uh, feminist approach, Uh, to poetry and and education as well. Anyways, and this poem that I'm using is called uh, La Contadora The Teller of Tales and it was translated to English by Ursula Le Guin, science fiction writer, also one of my pillars, uh, also somebody that that really inspires and and is central to my practice with her science fiction that has also a very feminist uh, and generous approach to imagination and the creation of reality otherwise, um, and the possibilities of realities otherwise, and really opening up these questions with fiction as a way of thinking, as a vessel, right? And she does the first move and membranal operation between south and north in this translation of the poem of Mistral. Then I take this translation and continue doing further translations with other membranal operations, such as reading the poem with a microphone that I made that is a membrane for the winds, so it gets entangled, the voice uh, and the words with the dynamics of the wind, so it, it's like a, like a mud of noise between human and wind. Um, another membranal operation that I'm doing for this uh, piece is uh, re- doing poetry readings to a machine learning algorithm that my friend Manaswi Mishra uh, created that as you read this uh, and, and you narrate something to, the, to this algorithm, it answers with, with different textures and bits. For example, one of the answers was like rhythmic patterns from the poem. So then we create other type of uh, membranal operations and intersections between human and non-human intelligences, like in this crossing of like collective intelligence to in actual the construction of a new... Understanding of the poem. So, all these types of translations um, are a way of creating non semantic translations of this poem and be able to incorporate it with other ways, with other senses, uh, with other types of knowing that is not only tied to the word and the meaning. Kutiteos. Kutiteos is, is a way of saying, a way of, a means of communication that. That is not accepted right um, it's so informal uh, it's you you like, you're like it's, it's very feminine even the word itself is it's you know it's kind of like an word in some ways right uh, I love it because it's it's kind of like it has a little bit the connotation of being like a gossip like gossipy I think because you know from a very male perspective that's like a feminine, attribution, you know, of course, ah, they're gossiping, but you know what I love about Gucci Tales? I think it's an opportunity, it's a place where also, like, you can be plotting something. Like, I think a revolution can come from Gucci Tales. Like, we can, in this, like, you know, secretly like, secrecy stories, voices, gossips, plottings, where there's concatenations, there's confabulations being done that I think can be very, very powerful. Eh, que hay mucho también mucha labor afectiva ocurriendo y mucha mm, comunidad pero de una manera también como que sí, que pasa como a otro plano que no es tan aceptada no es, no es valorada, digamos incluso con, con, no se le pone un valor pero es súper importante ahí, ahí ocurre la, la labor doméstica el afecto, el cuidado o sea, la sociedad Y se dice ahora como, ah, voy a ir a hacer el safarech con mi amiga, como, no, ¿cómo no, se diría? No, pero es en una frase?
1: Bastante, bastante, yo creo que está también entrando en desuso, pero como el safarech es como que estás como, bueno, es como, es como, es entre gossip, pero también como, tiene algo como funcional, porque tenía esta Intercambio, ropa, ¿sí? exacto, claro, no, f- función sí, de sí. lavar la ropa. Uh-huh. Sí, sí. O como entre gossip y otra cosa. Está, sí. Bueno, es catalana.
0: Como los cuchicheos también es como... Ay, siempre es como el contexto es como... Ya están cuchicheando. Déjense de cuchichear. Es algo medio prohibido. Como medio que se ataca también, ¿cierto? Como... Nunca es como... Ah, están cuchicheando. Qué bueno. Siempre es como... Ya están Como que es un... Uh. Como... Ah, molesto. Claro. O en, en el colegio, como... Déjense de cuchichear, te dice la profe. Siempre es como... Nunca queda como en un lugar... Positivo, es, es como rara, es una expresión bien rara. Uh-huh. Me sí, encanta. De
1: perder el tiempo también, ¿no? Exacto. Es como perder el tiempo, como no es suficientemente crucial o importante, o no hay un intercambio de información meaningful ahí. ¿no?
0: Exacto. Uh-huh. Y bueno, en el poema La Contadora, Gabriela Mistral escribe cuchicheos. Uh-huh. Es como escuchando las voces, no me acuerdo la, la, el poema, pero, pero se refiere a como la atención a los cuchicheos alrededor, que cuchichean y cuchichean nuestras historias, nuestra realidad, entonces...
1: So it, it also refers to orality, in a, in a sense, Exactly, well. exactly. Mm-hmm. exactly. Okay, this orality as a space where like, meaningful ex- uh, information is exchanged, but at the same time, I mean, it's the change from generation to generation, and, but it's not translating into writing, so it's kind of ephemeral, but at the same time significant.
0: Very significant, it's also constitutional, right? Kutit tells it's an oral form of communication and transmission of knowledge and information. So, why I selected this poem, there's so many reasons, but I love because Mistral is talking about the, const- in this poem, as I understand it, about the construction of reality beyond what we only know and think constructs reality. So, she's telling us in the poem to, to listen beyond us, to listen to the wind, to listen to the ocean, to listen to the insects, to the bugs, to the leaves of the tree, because they are telling this story, like they are cuchiteando, chit-chatting, whispering, gossiping, plotting something. This is what cuchiteos means, it's like, it's like a whispering, but in a very non-colloquial way of saying it, but she's like, pay attention to these kuchiteos, because we're forgetting that in these other languages, our realities are also contained, and we keep saying that, you know, uh, words build world, what are the other type of wor- worlds that can be built with these other types of words uh, of cutie tales around us? So she's really like pointing out to dimensions of attention, dimensions of listening but also not only just because, because this is what constructs our reality, and like also questioning the limits of, the, of what we tend to think that is so factual, so real, so static, when it's actually not at all and we have no idea. And this is a poetic action, right? And this is a poetic action where paying attention to the non-human, it's a way of incorporating that into the continuous, ever-growing and ever-expanding notion of reality. Wind in the end is the medium wind habit, right? I mean air, but air, wind is the expression of air, it's the movement of air, it's the dynamics of air. You know, even when you touch it, you put your hand really close. You're you're making turbulences, like you're, you're moving air in a way... Now it changes because I'm putting my hand, the sound changes. But you're, if you do that, you you realize that you are creating tiny winds. So I think in some ways also, within this collective idea and spirit that I have been trying to work with uh, and explore, I also think the collectivity of voices are, are you know powers that can couple and, and, and feed the wind as well, be with the wind, travel with the wind. So our voices stir up the winds um, in this way. And then another thing that I love about wind, uh, you know, the Americas is the continent of the winds, in the sense that the main instrument was for many times, I mean, not only, but, but the main characteristic instrument instruments is flutes, is whistles. So it's it's about wind. And many of these ones, for example, I've been working a long time with um, cañitas, which are pan flutes, like super simple tubes, uh, reed tubes, like beep, you know, like they, they sound, I don't, I usually carry them. I don't have one now here. Um, but it's, such a, it's, it's it's such a beautiful technology that is always there and it was a matter to understand that as an instrument it was a matter of just observation and being there because you know in the Andes like they, you have these these canes, these tubes, these plants, uh, these reeds and then the winds traveling were activating them so then they sound. So it's, it's you know this like just natural instrument. And through this observation people started taking them and making them and tuning them and creating calls and responses and collective flutes actually uh, there's many many rituals that are seen and uh, ensembles of flutes that are called la flauta collectiva the collective flute and it's really like how the flute is not constituted by one you know a master virtuoso player but by many Many people in the same place together play the flute and that's the collective flute. The flute is constituted by all of these blows, all of these winds, all of these energies, vital energy that actually couples with the wind. We breathe in, we breathe out. So it's like this non-stop of uh, share, sharing, uh, breathing together. And also, I like to frame it uh, in this work with wind, I, I like to think about the idea of conspiring in the like framing it as in breathing together but also inspiring each other and wind is a main participant in this the nomad aspects of the wind is the same all these lines that we draw that humans draw in a map yeah wind doesn't doesn't care for them like doesn't need to ask for permission to cross front borders frontiers so it's also a very membranal entity in that way it's just like transpassing, transversing, connecting, disconnecting, going from one place to another, Uh, it's a planetary entity. I think symbolic language is, is essential and, and I believe that we need so much more of it. I think we have been constructive, constructing an idea of reality that is way too rigid and way too linear and exact and it's just like an illusion, it's a, it's a fiction, it's, it's fabricated. I mean, you know, many times I talk to people in, from other places and, and they say, yeah, Chile is the country of the poets. <laughs> And, and it kind of like you know it kind of like makes sense. I don't know where it, where that that comes from, but there's a perception of that and I think it is because many ways there have been not only poetry for the sake of poetry because poetry sometimes has been the only tool uh, when you cannot say something because you've been oppressed, then you have to play with symbols to say it anyways, but finding other ways of saying it and I think, then so much meaning is contained in actions, in words, in gestures that are just like waiting to to explode and expand. I think containing uh, so much meaning in gestures, words, um, are ways of playing also with the subjectivity of these gestures and these words and the possibility of the relations that they can trigger. It's like a chain in the end, right? And I think when you contain things like that, when you structure things like that, then things have not only one way of being seen or understood. The power of symbols really change this idea of reality. I think the power of symbols and symbolic actions are necessary. Not only necessary, but urgent. And in the end nothing is like nothing has only one way of being seen and understood but i highlight that idea with these gestures and these actions Actually, I think there's much more power in unlearning than in learning. And I think that this is the way, and it has it really, really has to do with this notion of this ever oscillating reality, this vibrational reality that is never static. And as we unlearn, I think we're able to to rewire ourselves, to 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 be constantly, you know, forgetting about the rigidities that like dosification of being, kind of uh, these things that that we tend to to think that are important, that we tend to think that that this is the way to be, and suddenly you realize that you're super stiff, and and I think we have to shake it off. I think we have to unlearn this stiffness, and in order to give space and relearn that we are in oscillation. Western culture has been imposing in the ways of education, and the ways that we have. Grown um, and been taught, but then you cannot just like unlearn completely. So you have to incorporate new things and like so. In this case, more than unlearning is like rewiring all the time, like um, recalibrating uh, our senses, not only our 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 um, intellect. And then it is an extra work, and and it's. It's kind of like unfair because it's so you have to work double because first of all you have to know the things that were imposed on you then you you know you know that there's much more and you and you you live with it you flirt with it so you incorporate that and it's yet another school of thought and then somehow these have to make sense together because if you want to have dialogues with people from let's say the north well you know it's so generalistic but from the north. You have to, if you don't know these theories, then you're not validated, that you're not invited in the conversation. And it's like a whole net of complexities that come through that. So it's it's so enriching and I'm so happy. I, I have this task somehow, but it's also tiring. I mean, it's also it, it, not more than tiring. It's It requires for one to be always uh, working extra hard and somehow similar in what we are talking before, in the very beginning, about uh, this like anti-disciplinary perspective and, and also transdisciplinary, where you bring many things to a conversation. As an artist, you know, I, I, I care deeply uh, for, for, for the artistic discourse and the poetry in my work, but I also am I'm very versed technically, so I also care about how do I do the things, I, I do them myself. Most of these things, so I, I, it's also an extra work in the sense that I, I need to be like prepared and very well prepared in many fronts. I mean, in in the in the work that I do, I, I try to do it by by shaking, by vibrating, but you know, like collectivizing, resonating. But I think, as you say, it's something that is visceral. It's something that has to be done. Um, in placing our bodies in different ways, in like really changing physical things in order to rewire intellectual patterns and, and notions of, of of reality of things uh, that we think are one way, but there are actually many. So, one, one important, uh, like for me, like one very generous way of thinking has been also learning from the pluriversals, (laughs) let's say, like the theories of the pluriverses um, and designing with the notion of idea of pluriverse from Arturo Escobar, I think that has been also like a really impactful uh, and super stimulating way of thinking, that nothing is static in, like, it's like, you know, uh, perspectives, they really change and they're dynamic. And the notions of reality is really convivial conviviendo, eh, we inhabit many notions of reality simultaneously. So once we can unlearn the rigidities, I think we can open up to all other of these pluriverses, other of these visions of the world and the, and the cosmos. Welcome to your new plasmatic self that flows in pulsating temporalities that are triggered by quantum fluctuations that alter every single particle of our bodies. Embrace the plasmatic and shake the plastic out of yourself. Shake away every microplastic in your water. Shake away every stuck trauma. Shake away every imposed noise. Shake away linear time. Make some space to vibrate and recalibrate your senses, to resonate with the plasma we were in the past and the plasma we carry in our blood.